Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This morning, looks like about 11,000 Connecticut residents are without power after Tropical Storm Henri brought heavy rain and wind to our state. But it could have been much worse. The Category 1 hurricane downgraded Sunday morning. Now it's a tropical depression. Several towns on the shoreline had evacuation orders for certain neighborhoods, and most of those residents in places like Madison and New Haven returned home by Sunday evening. How did the tropical storm impact where you live? We want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Now, more rain is expected today in an already wet summer. Areas of our state could be in danger of flash flooding and more downed trees coming up here from meteorologist Garrett Argianis. But first, joining us on the phone is Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. Governor Lamont, welcome back. Good morning, Lucy. You had a, a very busy day, uh, lots of briefings from the Emergency Operations Center. So what's it looking like today in Connecticut? How bad was it? It could have been worse, and we were better prepared. Uh, it could have been worse if... Uh, uh, a level one hurricane that hit New Haven, which is originally projected in New London. It ended up hitting um, westerly Rhode Island. It may say, what's the difference? Just 40 miles. It's a world of difference because where the storm hits is where it is absolute strongest. So little Rhode Island had 100,000 outages and uh, we had about 50,000. But we're not really out of danger yet, right? When we think about, you'd mentioned many times that um, we are saturated from all the rain and flash flooding. Is still a concern in parts of our state, Governor? You're right. If we get a half an inch of rain, that creates floods because there's no more, you know, moisture, no more room for moisture in the topsoil. That sponge is full. And uh, so that's what you got to watch out for. We're going to have a lot of... Uh, short down uh, pours, I think, over the course of today, maybe a thunderstorm or two. And so what's your advice for residents? Be careful. I mean, uh, yesterday, thankfully, uh, people stayed home. Today, uh, more have to get to work. If you see a big uh, puddle in the um, road, uh, don't speed over it. Be careful. That could be uh, eight inches deep, not an inch deep. You could run into trouble there. Um, Otherwise, if you don't have to go to work, probably uh, better not to. Uh, we don't need cars spinning out on a, a road and then creating a blockage if I have to get an emergency vehicle there. Or the utilities. You know, we still have, uh, you know, eight or 9,000 homes to get turned on. Let's talk about preparation. Uh, you said that this time we were better prepared, uh, meaning, of course, not just uh, the state, but our utility companies, including Eversource. We all remember what happened last August with Tropical Storm Isaias. So uh, walk us through your impressions of how Eversource uh, handled this storm. I think better. Uh, Prepare for the worst. Um, uh, Number one, I think uh, they were hoping for the best under ICEA. 
a legislature put forward a, a bill that set some parameters. Uh, Marissa Gillette from Pura was very strict in terms of holding the uh, utilities accountable. Lucy, they had twice as many people on the ground ready to go. Uh, they are, uh, to their credit, you had the linemen up in their bucket trucks in the middle of the pouring rain and 40-mile-an-hour winds. You know, we had 20,000 people that were um, got their power turned on in the middle of the storm. So um, a little tilt of the hat so far in terms of uh, better performance. Uh, when we talk about better performance and they were prepared, uh, over-preparation also comes with a cost. And so what will that mean for, for customers? Uh, uh Two things. One, uh, the the cost of uh, getting everybody back up and operating is borne by the ratepayers. You're absolutely right. Nothing, though, is more costly than having uh, a nursing home without power, um, uh, a senior at the end of a long road, the tree down, people can't get access to her, uh, food spoilage, medicine spoilage. Um, we have air conditioning. You know, we have 90-degree temperatures coming up in the next day or so. So, I think the cost of not getting the power on is a lot more than being a little extra prepared this time. You mentioned nursing homes. I know there were four uh, nursing homes, I think, around the shoreline that they had to evacuate residents. Are they all back uh, in their, their, their rooms, their homes, Governor? If they're not back yet, they will be, I believe, very soon. But uh, Deirdre Gifford and uh, Public Health, they had modeled out where we thought the storm was going to go. We knew where a nursing home, if we had to evacuate, where they could be. Uh, what you don't want is, you know, obviously flooding in a nursing home, but also if the power goes down, they go on a generator. Um, you know, those folks have got to keep the electricity. They've got to have the air conditioning. Uh, you mentioned that there's a big cost when we're out of power for many days. Originally, Eversource saying that they're preparing uh, for restoration to take up to 21 days. And of course, that caused a lot of panic among uh, residents around our state. Do you think that's acceptable to give that kind of window um, for people to prepare? Uh, because people are, you know, obviously going to be running to the gas station, running to the food market, uh, people worried about uh, um, hoarding uh, of supplies supplies that are needed? I think it was uh, a little dumb and pretty tone deaf. You know, technically speaking, with a Category 3 type storm, uh, they had extra time to get it repaired. We were never going to allow that to happen. Uh, we had the folks on the ground. We were pushing every day to get 90% turned on by the end of today. And uh, fortunately, the utilities uh, are performing and uh, the storm was helpful. So, so you didn't think that it was uh, good for Eversource to say that we could be out of power for up to 21 days? Yeah, I mean, look, I had said, uh, you know, under promise and over deliver, but don't take it to that extreme. <laughs> And when we think about, um, again, last summer, uh, so many uh, recent uh, weather events, uh, you know, how are, are you thinking about storm prep differently in our state, Governor? Because it doesn't seem like uh, this is going to be uh, in our past when we think about the pattern in recent years of uh, extreme weather events. Yeah, you're right. These 100-year storms are coming more frequently. Look, uh, Marissa over at Pura is changing the regulatory scheme for the utilities. It's now what we call performance-based regulation. No more automatic 9% rate return. And um, if you have a lot of extra costs, just pour them in on the backs of the uh, rate payers. No more of that stuff. Uh, you're going to be penalized if you don't perform. Your rate of return will go down. You're going to have to make uh, credits available to customers who go without for more than uh, three days. 
They're going to start getting some credits uh, uh, later next month for uh, last year's storm. So I think by um, aligning our incentives, making sure that they are rewarded for good performance and penalized for bad performance, we're going to get better performance. And we'll be hearing from Eversource later in the hour. Again, Pura uh, penalizing Eversource, I believe, about $30 million for that storm response last August, and the utility is appealing. Uh, Governor Lamont, uh, we want to thank you for your time uh, joining us today. Any last words for our residents? Hey, thanks for hanging in there, Connecticut. It's been a tough year and a half. I know we were looking forward to a relaxing last week in August. Um, we haven't delivered that, but I think by the end of this uh, week, we're going to have a great weekend coming up. Take care, everybody. Thank you. That's Governor Ned Lamont. He's headed to the town of Canterbury. We're actually going to be hearing from the first selectman of Canterbury in just a little bit. This is where we live. We're talking about Tropical Storm Henri, which has been downgraded to a depression. Originally, it was forecast to hit our state hard, especially along the shoreline. Connecticut Public Radio's Frankie Graziano started his day in Old Saybrook. He joins us now on Zoom. Hi, Frankie. What's going on, Lucy? How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I think I probably got more sleep than you did, but we were uh, really appreciative of you going around our state and filing for National Public Radio. What's happening in Connecticut? So what did you see exactly, Frankie? So I was able to go to a couple of places and, and really what I want to stress, because you said this earlier, the saturated roads, right? That's That's been a big term the last couple of days. Here's what it looked like before the storm. Let me just try to paint the picture. We were in a low-lying area in Old Saybrook. And before there had even been any rain uh, yesterday morning, there was already flooding in that area. And that's from just a couple of days ago, some rain. So that just shows you, that gives you an idea of how saturated the roads were. Because of that, when you have that kind of an issue where you have flooding, emergency personnel down there, I talked to a a past fire chief, uh, JT Dunn, yesterday. He had said that you're worried about people getting caught behind the storm. So there might not be local flooding at their house, but an egress road, somewhere they have to get out to get to a main road may be flooded. So you're essentially stranded. So what they did on Saturday was they had some police fire personnel with pink uh, uh, um, flyers in their hands, knocking on doors and telling people they had to get out because you don't want people driving away during the middle of the storm. Do people listen to those evacuation orders, Frankie? You know, I, I was I was I was a little um, uh, sketchy about it for a little bit, because when I was driving around in, in downtown Old Saybrook, you'd see a lot of cars, you see a lot of people watching the storm. But in the worst parts where it is, where those low lying areas are, when you're right near a potential storm surge area, there were people out. One house had uh, one of these signs on it that said, uh, goodbye, good night, Irene, goodbye, Sandy, and take a hike on So they've been through that before. And I think they were out of there for that reason. Uh, and so you were in Old Saybrook, and then where did you head after that? So I made the bright decision to go down to Stonington, where it was actually pretty bright, and the ground was dry and safe for some lights being out and uh, some some trees being down, maybe a couple. It's not that it was a situation where we wanted to see more stuff, but you're trying to go and cover the thing, and and at that point, it was pretty dry out there and the sun was out. So Stonington, I was surprised, I guess, in that regard, because we're talking about being on the border of where the storm made landfall. And it didn't seem like they had too much of hit. So again, not so much of a direct impact from the storm. It's just going to be about this rain. And, and as we say, these saturated roads that are just getting pelted again, I guess. It was interesting to hear the governor uh, mention that when Eversource originally said, you know, Customers could be out of power for up to 21 days. He thought that was tone deaf. How did you see residents responding to that, uh, Frankie, when you were out? 
I mean, I, I think everybody was pretty relieved. I, I know that I, I know it's easy to pick on the power companies nowadays, but I, I don't know how many of them actually cared about the fact that we said 69% of people were going to be out of power, perhaps up to 21 days. Um, and then, you know, we're out for maybe just a couple of days and we have never really above 2% of people that were out. The importance with this is obviously the regulatory function. We know from an article that Mark Pazniokas from The Mirror did this morning that Pura is already rotching, even despite the fact that the response was good. The key here, obviously, in advance is, I think Governor Lamont had said yesterday, it was something like 6,500 workers came in, crews from out of state. I saw them all over the place yesterday. Why didn't we see that during Isaias? I guess that's a big point that led to Pura, excuse me, led to Pura, fine Eversource, something like $27 million. Obviously, UI got fined as well. So it's all about, I guess, what the government response is to what happens with Eversource. Now, this tropical storm or now a depression still not done with our region. Uh, where I am, uh, Frankie, it's starting to get cloudy. It looks like it's raining a little bit. And so we'll have to see in terms of those flash flood warnings, uh, what will happen uh, in other parts of our state. Yeah, I get worried about those daisies you usually have at the house. I know you've got that green thumb, Lucy. I would <laughs> I would be worried about that kind of thing. But look, I mean, come on. I, it, it could have been may, way worse, I thought. I know there's going to be some local flooding. And Manchester got hit pretty hard. They got four and a half inches of rain yesterday. I saw um, uh, some flooding of a brook there. It led into South Windsor where Mill on the River got flooded. So it was pretty bad there. But otherwise, I would say things went pretty well. We'll have to watch for local flooding today. And as Governor Lamont said, I guess watch out when you're driving. Try not to drive through that stuff. Frankie Graziano, again, is a reporter for Connecticut Public. Frankie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lucy. Have a nice day. This is where we live. We hope to hear from you. We want to know how you fared where you lived with this tropical storm, now a depression that moved through our state. Coming up, we'll hear from meteorologist Garrett Argianis about the next uh, weather in the next few days. Uh, I wanted to talk to a resident who did end up evacuating. Uh, Alicia Santilli is joining us on the phone. Alicia, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Lucy. So you actually live uh, in evacuation zone in New Haven. And so uh, tell us what you ended up doing and when did you return home? Sure. Um, so I actually live just outside the evacuation zone, just a few blocks north. Um, and we were just feeling pretty nervous that it was so close to us and also concerned that they might extend the evacuation recommendations. Um, so we just made a decision to just play it on the safe side and uh, we got our house prepared, you know, made sure everything was secured and packed up a bag and, and headed to a friend's house for, for the night. Mm. And so you actually went to a friend's house. All right. And then uh, what about uh, people in your neighborhood? Uh, did they also pack up and leave? Uh, what did you see? Um, we didn't see a lot of people. Like I said, we were just north of the evacuation mm. zone. So right around us, I don't think anybody else left. Um, so we didn't see a lot of activity in terms of people. Um, packing up right around us. But I know that the mayor and other officials were um, down further in the neighborhood, closer to the seawall, and really encouraging people to to think about evacuating. So a, a good feeling to be able to go back home, Alicia? Yes, yes. We um, When we woke up in the morning on Sunday and, you know, checked the weather and realized it had shifted its track, we decided to come home late morning and we were perfectly fine for the rest of the day. Well, thank you for joining us, Alicia. Glad to hear that you're back home safe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love your show.
Thank you, Alicia. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We want to hear from you, too, again, uh, with this storm that moved through our state, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We'll be back after a short break. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. We're taking time to hear from you as another tropical storm, Henri, moves out of our state. It was August last year when tropical storm Isaias caused widespread power outages. This time, officials, including Governor Lamont, assured residents that the utilities were prepared. But the estimated days without power made most of us gasp when Eversource warned that seven, nearly 7 out of 10 customers could be out of power up to 21 days. How did you fare where you live? We want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Again, this storm, storm now, a tropical depression. Joining us now is meteorologist Garrett Argianis to talk about what happened with the storm that helped our state and what will be seen in the next few days. Hi, Garrett. Hi, Lucy. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. So we heard uh, Governor Lamont uh, putting on the amateur meteorologist hat talking to us about uh, what happened with the storm, but but we want to hear it from you as well. How did we luck out? I feel like he was channeling his inner Dan Malloy. Um, <laughs> so the storm, the, the storm uh, obviously did not hit that worst potential impacts around here, which I'm very thankful for. You know, and I think a lot of people are breathing that sigh of relief today because uh, there was certainly potential uh, for expensive power outages, but because that storm track did go just to our east, we missed out on the worst of the wind. So that really helped in terms of the power outage issues. Uh, there were still some trees down and some power outages, but we were nowhere near those really high potential numbers. So I think a lot of us are quite pleased about that. You've been in the biz a long time, and you know that uh, people get angry at meteorologists when the weather forecast isn't exactly as you've said it would be. So talk about how difficult it is to predict these kinds of storms and where they're going to hit. Well, every storm is unique, and some forecasts are just more complicated than others. And leading up to this uh, storm through late last week, it seems like every day I was saying you know, all options are on the table. And that was due to the uncertainty with the storm track. And in this case, it had to do with the jet stream. So the jet stream is a river of of wind that helps to steer weather systems. And in the situation we were in, a storm typically would kind of come up to the north, curve to the northeast, and head out to sea. But there was a little wrinkle in the form of what we call an upper-level low, basically a counterclockwise spin embedded in that flow. And it was that upper-low that was forecast to kind of pull the storm to the west. And the big question for days was how far west was that storm track going to go? And in the event, it ended up tracking a little bit more to the east in the end and and making landfall just over the border in Rhode Island. But then that storm did take that hook to the northwest and it basically tracked uh, northwest right over Connecticut during the day yesterday. So this morning I was pleasantly surprised to see blue skies and it was sunny uh, where I live and now it's starting to rain and it's cloudy. And so what should we expect uh, the next few days? Well, I think you mentioned that. I think, I mean, the stars were out last night and people are like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> um, and, and really, and that's, you know, as that storm moved to the west, the rainy side of the storm also moved to the west. 
and that allowed for that clearing to come in. And um, I will point out, by the way, we did have some flooding in Connecticut, but the heaviest rain fell to our west or New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And there was even a rain delay at the Little League World Series yesterday as some downpours came through central Pennsylvania. Uh, around here now, the remnants of the tropical depression on Re, uh, not really a wind threat at this point, at least a big wind threat, but there will be some breezes today. But it's really a rain concern, and the humidity is still sky high. There's a lot of moisture around, so there are some downpours coming through right now. So we have to be alert that there is flood potential still today. I know yesterday that there were some roads that were closed because of rain. So I want to really stress, never drive onto a flooded road because you have no idea how deep that water is. and You can end up uh, in a very serious situation very, very uh, short amount of time. Uh, But watch out for downpours today. And there's even the potential for a spin-up tornado because there's a lot of uh, spin in the atmosphere as well. So you'll certainly want to stay alert to the weather as we go through today. You're hearing meteorologist Garrett Argianis. You hear his regular weather reports on Connecticut Public Radio throughout the day. Garrett, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, Lucy. Good to be here. Now, earlier on Where We Live, we heard from Governor Lamont. Um, Later this morning, he's going to be heading to the town of Canterbury uh, again to view storm damage there. Last night, much of that town was in the dark to talk about uh, what it's looking like today. Joining us now on the phone is Christopher Lipke, first selectman of Canterbury. Uh, Mr. Lipke, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you for joining us. So uh, what's it looking like in Canterbury today? Well, it's uh, better than yesterday. We um, we're coming. Our outages are coming down. We're now down to about 500 uh, people without power in Canterbury, and restoration time for about 350 of those is uh, by two o'clock this afternoon. And I'm hoping the remainder will be up uh, before it's dark today. But uh, yeah, it was interesting yesterday. We went from about zero outages to nearly 100 percent uh, without power in Canterbury in a matter of minutes. Oh, wow. And so when we think about um, how uh, preparation might have differed from the tropical storm last August, what did you notice when you think about communication with utility companies and even with the state? Well, communication with the utility companies is good. Our our community liaisons are responsive to our needs. Uh, When we call Eversource, they they do uh, put the tickets in. They 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 note the uh, the damage areas, and they do respond to us in that respect very well. I think where 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 it seems to be um, more problematic is is in terms of the follow up, uh, in terms of getting feedback um, after after there's been an assessment for how long it will take to get to get everything uh, up and running. And uh, but you know, but Eversource, their communications were 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 pretty good. The state was right on top of it. I know we had a. We were number one yesterday. I'd like to be number one for something else in power outages, but I guess number one's good. Um, and uh, and I heard from the governor yesterday, and he wants to, he's coming out today to uh, to look at the damage here as well. So it's good to have him come out and uh, assess what um, what we had here in Canterbury. And when we were talking to you in Canterbury, so that's the eastern side of our state. When you mentioned uh, storm damage, what else um, is in your town? In terms of. Uh, in terms of the storm? In terms of the storm, well, we had storm damage. You had trees down, power lines down, no flooding, fortunately. Um, but just, just a whole host of closed roads over the course of the day, eight to ten closed roads, which we're now clearing with Eversource now, and that, that list changes you know, moment to moment as they open up the roads and get the trees off of them. And it's, uh, 
Yeah, it was the, uh, I hate to say, but it's kind of the usual tropical storm slash hurricane uh, mess that, that we have to deal with. Mm, you said the usual, so this is something that uh, residents are getting used to, Mr. Lipton. Well, it's part, I say it's part, I think it's part of living in a rural environment. We have 70 miles of roads, we have a, a fairly robust uh, canopy of trees. And uh, when you have a strong wind, they do come down. Not that you want to get used to living with it, but you understand that uh, it is uh, it is a factor of living here in um, in, in town as any many of these rural towns. Well, we want to thank Christopher Lipke for joining us, first selectman of Canterbury. Good to hear that the power is coming back on. We appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and um, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, let everyone know what's going on here in Canterbury. Thank you very much. And you can join us, too. We want to hear how you fared with this latest storm to hit Connecticut, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, we heard Garrett Argianis mention that flash flooding is uh, still a concern for parts of our state, more rain coming. Uh, joining us now on the phone is Ellen Zappo-Sasu. Again, she's mayor of Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, mayor Zappo-Sasu, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I think we spoke uh, when you were first elected, uh, so that was a little while ago. Uh, what are you seeing in Bristol, and what are your concerns uh, throughout this day and this week? So our anxiety levels were pretty high going into the weekend based on what had happened last August with the storm that came through. That left a lot of our neighborhoods without power. Um, several sections were went up to that seven-day window without power, and we had flooding and a ton of trees and power down. So this weekend was remarkably quiet. Uh, we had learned some lessons from previous storms, and so we had many of our city departments working uh, together in order to ensure that we didn't have a repeat of some of those issues. One of the most telling issues that we addressed was the fact that we've had so much rainfall since the spring. Our reservoirs have been at capacity since April at 100%. So Starting in July, our water superintendent made the decision to, to willfully start lowering them because he did fear something like another tropical storm, which really did us in last summer. So we have methodically been lowering our reservoirs since July. And even with last Wednesday onto Thursday storm, they went up another three inches. And so we kept staff on 24 hours over the weekend to continue to lower those reservoirs in order to take in the extra water. And what that did was it prevented any type of spillover into the Poland Brook Spring um, and also the Pequabic River, which is the spots that would then cause the flooding into the neighborhoods and into the downtown area and onto the streets. So we, knock on wood, have had zero flooding. We've had a couple of small erosion-type washouts. Uh, we've had some branches down. But as we turn our attention to Monday and the rain that continues to fall, we continue to be concerned about the saturation levels of the ground and the trees and potential power line interaction if any of those trees do come down. That's right. It's good to hear that there have been um, steps taken to eliminate flooding because uh, I remember when I was a reporter uh, several years ago, uh, Bristol saw a lot of, of flooding and said so those steps are helping uh, keep the water low and, and not cause concern for your residents, Mayor? To the best of our ability, anything that we can control, we are trying to. And the lieutenant governor is stopping in town on her tour later this morning. And one of the spots that I want to show her is the gauge that we actually have in the Pequabic River near the forceful center of Bristol, where we can monitor it and even we can get alerts to our phone 
concerning um, how that river is running and the depth. And that was very helpful last week as we saw it rise precipitously on Wednesday. So we knew that there were potential issues and we were able to address them. When we hear about big storms coming, uh, we hear that, you know, again, declarations are made and hopefully federal assistance. Is this something that that you hope uh, can be bolstered for your town uh, to help with flooding concerns in the future, Mayor? You know, I think that there's a lot of areas where, especially with the buildup and development um, upstream, so to speak, and in the northwest corner of the state, you know, we are seeing impacts. And even locally, there's a lot of activity that is displacing water. And I think that we also just have to always be aware of that balance between open space and pervious surfaces and the need to develop and add to our grand list. Um, we've the the storm and flood controls that got put in place in Bristol following the flood of 55 were monumental. And both the state and federal government came in big on, on those projects. And we've benefited from them ever since. But it's all of these other little projects that happen along the way that impact where the water goes. And, it's, and water is very powerful. And so we always have to keep that in mind that as much as residents and businesses get upset sometimes at the level of regulatory authority we have, it's for the, the greater purpose and good of the community. That's an important point. Any other recommendations for your residents who are listening right now? You know, we are just saying the same thing that, you know, Governor Lamont and the meteorologists have been saying, please do not drive through pools of water. You cannot test their depth by looking at them. Um, do not touch any wires that come down. You may think it's a cable or a telecommunications wire, but it could be uh, tied up later down the line with a power line. And we really don't want people touching that. And we're just encouraging our residents to be cautious. But if they see something that's a roadway obstruction or any type of uh, dangerous situation to call the police non-emergency number. And we're all uh, linked in on the same communications hub, and so someone will respond. That's Bristol Mayor Ellen Zaposasu joining us here on Where We Live. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Again, we want to hear from you. We want to hear how you fared. Again, uh, it could have been worse in our state, but there are at least uh, between eight to 11,000 residents still without power. Uh, the governor saying just yesterday that uh, Eversource uh, plans on having that power restored to about 90% of those residents. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Uh, you know, one uh, type of business that gets a lot of calls, especially with all of this storm weather. Our uh, tree trimmers joining us now uh, on the phone is Kyle DeLucia, who's owner of K&J Tree Service that serves Hamden and Norwalk. Kyle, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and so I imagine you were expecting a lot more calls than you got. What did you hear? That's for sure. We fortunately dodged a very significant storm here in Connecticut. Um, yesterday, we, we received about 24 calls, none of which were emergency calls. Uh, trees on houses or anything like that. And just to give you a comparison with Isaias, we had 2,800 calls in the first 24 hours. So wow. we basing it off of the storm last year, we were certainly ramped up and prepared. We had our call centers fully engaged. We had uh, all of our office personnel on standby. Our, our, our tree crews were ready to go. All the trucks were loaded up and uh, certainly wasn't uh, as bad as it was originally predicted based on the, the new track that it followed. Uh, when we think about all the trees in our state, uh, again, uh, people love them. 
so uh, you know consequences in certain areas with our, our power lines but just when we think about how much uh, of our land is now saturated you know do you anticipate that uh, you may be getting more calls in the next few days if this rainy weather continues and what happens to the tree roots i do i actually uh just got a total just before coming on the air here we got 55 calls so far this morning and you're exactly right. With the saturated ground, it doesn't take any wind. You can have a tree that's leaning in the direction where it's reaching for sunlight on a normal growth pattern, and the ground is saturated. It's heavier on one side than the other, and it doesn't take any wind at all for the trees to topple over. So it's very important to be aware that uh, with this saturated ground, it's certainly a hazard for these large trees. Mm, that's really concerning. I think you're thinking about all the trees around uh, my uh, my home, uh, Kyle. Uh, when we think about also, I just spoke to the Canterbury First Selectman that's on the eastern side of the state, and we hear a lot about um, insect uh, infestations and how they've weakened a lot of trees on that side. And this is something that probably will be a long-term issue. Yeah, we've certainly had... Uh... That's a whole other topic, and there's there's certainly a bunch of invasive pests that have been uh, introduced to the area and and becoming a lot more prevalent. So, I mean, I think we all know about the emerald ash borer killing the ash trees off. So, it's uh it's a it's very devastating to see all this damage and all these storms. It, it's becoming more and more frequent. Mm. Do you have tips for our homeowners and others who are listening right now as we're Absolutely. doing some cleanup? There are some things I, I would like to point out that. Uh, whenever there's a storm in the forecast, our phones typically go absolutely crazy. Thursday and Friday, our phones were off the hook. And, you know, we tell people, there's no way we're going to get to you before the storm that's going to hit on Saturday. And they say, I know, but with the storm in the forecast, it makes me think. So I like to urge people, consider the trees in your yard. There are things we can do. And we do offer free tree risk assessments. We'll come out to your property and survey all the trees on your property for free. But there are different trimming techniques we could do to reduce the wind restriction. And there are different practices we can take and prevent some of this damage and possible failure during the storms. Those are uh, good reminders for all of us. Kyle DeLucia, owner of K&J Tree Service that's in Hamden and Norwalk. Thank you for your time and good luck to you and your crews. Thank you so much. Have a great day. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to continue talking about uh, the storm damage and storm uh, preparation in our state. Coming up, we'll hear from Eversource, and we want to hear from you, too. How were you impacted by Henri? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, next month, Connecticut will have a new public health commissioner. On the next Where We Live, we'll talk to Governor Lamont's nominee, Dr. Manisha Jutani, an infectious disease specialist from Yale. What questions do you have about the Delta variant and others, especially as students head back to school? That conversation tomorrow. Now, today we've been talking about the storm that hopefully will be leaving Connecticut soon. Again, Tropical Storm Henri, now a tropical depression. Joining us now on the phone is spokesman for Eversource, Mitch Gross. Mitch, welcome back. Lucy, good morning. Thank you for having me. So everyone wanted to know how Eversource was preparing for the storm. Luckily, it jogged more to the east, uh, more of a problem for Rhode Island than for Connecticut. But can you talk about what the company did differently this time? 
well, we got out way ahead of this of this one. We've been watching this one for for days and days and days. We were able to reach out for additional help from utilities from as far away as Texas, Oklahoma, Virginia, North Carolina, and they responded. It's been an unprecedented response by uh, utilities around the country and Canada. And, uh, you know, thousands of line and tree crews here to help our people. And there's still some work to be done, you know, especially in the eastern part of the state. We have a, still remaining about 7,700 customers uh, primarily in the east, uh, still without power, but we're making tremendous progress. And I, I think we can all agree that uh, for most of the state, we were lucky because all of the forecasts said this would be some very difficult days. So we know that uh, residents and officials have been very critical of Eversource uh, after last uh, August storm. And even before then, when we think about uh, other storms that have hit in the last decade or so, uh, again, uh, Pura uh, penalizing Eversource uh, with a penalty of $30 million. I believe your company is appealing that. And so can you talk about uh, when you think about these criticisms and uh, what was done differently now, uh, some of the, the steps that are being taken that are improving that communication that that was such a uh, a problem last summer well you know we learn from every storm and community you said it it's all about communication that's a, that's at the top of the pile and we've we've taken all kinds of steps uh, uh bolstering our internal communications processes our technology you know one of the uh the things we heard from the towns uh, after last year's storm was we didn't know what's going on so now with all of, every time a town opens an emergency operations center, there is an Eversource community liaison sitting right there with town officials to keep them informed as to what's going on. We have technology now, a, what's we call the municipal hub, which enables the towns to input information into our system uh, as far as blocked roads, uh, critical facilities, and issues with with them, things of that nature. So. It's all about communicating, keeping everyone up to date. And in the and as far as our end, you know, being very, very, very well prepared. And, and that's and that's what we did. And we continue to make really good progress this morning and we're pushing on. Would all of that preparation have happened if not for the mandates that were passed? No, uh, we we learn from every storm and. Uh, you know, we were in a good. We were we were fortunate this this time around because typically when these storms come uh, toward New England, they come up the East Coast first. So it's it's tougher to get additional utility crews to help us out because they're standing by in their particular geographic areas. This was not the case this time around. This was a case where Henri meandered in the Atlantic and then headed straight toward us. So we were able to uh, reach out and secure. Many, many, many uh, crews, thousands of crews ahead of time. You know, yesterday we were able to send, oh, upwards of 600 of them over to Rhode Island after uh, Henri came ashore and caused problems over there. So, no, I, I would I, I would say, uh, you know, we learn from every storm and, you know, this is what we do and we prepare as best we can and we always encourage our customers to be prepared as well. Again, you're hearing Eversource spokesman Mitch Gross here on Where We Live. We had Governor Lamont on earlier in the hour, Mitch. Uh, we asked him about Eversource uh, saying, letting customers know, uh, given what the forecast was saying, that power could be out for up to 21 days. And he said that uh, was a little dumb and really tone deaf. How do you respond? 
Uh, well, we make those uh, announcements based on the best available weather information at the time. And at the time, and we subscribe to numerous weather services as well as work with Yukon's outage prediction modeling team and all of those indicators. And at that time, Henri had changed to a hurricane and was headed straight toward us. So based on those factors, we planned accordingly and made that determination. And we'll be hearing more about that modeling uh, coming up uh, from that, that institute uh, that you mentioned, uh, Mitch. When we think about over-preparation, that comes at a cost, too. And is this something that customers can expect to see, uh, that costs are shouldered by them? Well, you know, it, it's, the, it's the reality now in Connecticut. It's, you know, we have certain rules and regulations we must follow. We understand what our customers expect of us. There's a commitment internally to make sure we deliver as best we can. And all of those things come with a cost. And when will we know uh, how much this storm has cost to Eversource? Uh, talk about the steps. Oh, I have no, I, no idea. No idea. You know, we're still at work, Lucy. There's, mm-hmm. there's still work to be done today. We're trying to get those remaining customers who were affected back online. And, you know, the, all of the... Uh, adding will will take place in the in the near future and uh we'll go from there and just to recap uh, how many uh, people are still without power when do you expect that to be restored mitch we have approximately 7700 without power we've restored somewhere of over sixty thousand since the storm hit us uh those outages are still primarily in the eastern part of the state along the rhode island border And we're doing everything we can to get the majority of those folks back on sometime today. Now, uh, one of the mandates that I'd mentioned was the legislature take back our GRID Act, where residents can get reimbursement if they had spoiled medication or food or if power outages were longer than so many days. Do you think any of that will be relevant for this storm? You're going to get it back before uh, the clock starts ticking, Mitch? Uh, It remains to be seen. Um, We'll 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 cross that bridge when the time is appropriate. But in the meantime, we're we're focused on the work that needs to be done. Mitch Gross, again, is a spokesman for Eversource. We thank you for your time today. Thank you, Lucy. Now, we mentioned uh, that Eversource relies on a research lab at UConn that develops storm damage modeling technology and helps the utility plan for service when these storms are forecast for Connecticut and New England. Uh, Joining us now on the phone is Diego Chirai, Assistant Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at UConn, also manager of the Eversource Energy Center at UConn. Diego, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. So uh, tell us uh, what the modeling, how that all works uh, when you uh, help uh, uh, utility companies like uh, Eversource plan for a storm like this. Yes, starting approximately four days before a storm, we run in-house at UConn uh, weather models. Based on these weather models that are fed by national weather models, um, we extract some weather parameters And from those parameters, we use machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict the impact of the storm on the electric grid infrastructure. And so when we think about uh, the weather and modeling, but also all of the work that's been done in the recent years to remove uh, or uh, trim trees around power lines, uh, tell us how your center uh, helps with that data as well. Yes. So... 
we use also those data to basically um, correct the expected impact of the storm based on what on the tree trimming that has been done recently by Eversource in Connecticut. Because we our models are trained on 15 years of historical data, so basically we re-simulated all the weather that happened in the past 15 years to train these artificial intelligence models using big data. The fact is that the electric grid is constantly changing, so we need not only to encapsulate what happened in the past, but also the changes in the electric grid. And so we are uh, we, we are using also all the electric grid hardening activities, such as tree trimming in our model, to basically correct the storm impact and basically in this case decrease the storm impact because uh, tree trimming has an impact in reducing the amount of outages that that occur during storms. And so when we think about all that tree trimming that's been done over the last uh, decade, how do we quantify, you know, the reduction in the amount of power outages in recent years, Diego? Yes. So in general, over the entire Connecticut, all the tree trimming that was done can be quantified in a reduction between 20 and 30 percent of the amount of power outages during a normal storm. But in areas where tree trimming was intensive, we can have a reduction beyond 50% of the amount of power outages. So we can have half of the power outages that we would have had uh, 10 years ago with a, with, with, a, with a storm of similar intensity. Mm. Well, that's good to hear. So what are you doing to make that AI that you're using more accurate? Uh, yes, so we are um, constantly and continuously uh, pushing the envelope towards new frontiers in artificial intelligence and also trying to understand more and more how the weather interacts with the environment. So uh, we are not only just using uh, AI as a black box, but we are trying to investigate and understand the relationships that are very complex between weather and infrastructure and environment and trees to make sure that we are capturing the key elements that bring that leads to to the occurrence of power outages. Mm. We just have a couple of minutes left, Diego. But can you talk a little bit further about how uh, climate change uh, is impacting your model as we anticipate more extreme weather? Yes, uh, climate change has a huge impact in our model because uh, in recent year, in recent years, we have seen some storms that we haven't experienced before. Like for example, last year. Uh, Isaias had a landfall in the Carolinas, but after traveling several hundred miles towards our area, it was still strong. And it was strong because there was a part of that storm that was still on the ocean. And that storm with a warmer ocean continued to intensify more and more. Conversely, for, for this storm, we had a weakening uh, some hundred miles before reaching Rhode Island and Connecticut because we had a cold pool of water in front of the coast of Connecticut and Long Island. But in the future, it, can you imagine if, if that cold pool doesn't exist anymore because we can have water like four or five Fahrenheit higher of higher temperature. So in that case, the storm wouldn't weaken in front of the coast, but would keep the same strength or even intensify. So maybe reaching us uh, as a category one or even more, uh, or even stronger hurricane. So climate change in our area is a strong effect and impacts not only our modeling efforts, but also the intensity at which future hurricanes will hit our area.
Mm. Uh, we talked about uh, tree trimming, uh, but what other infrastructure changes do you recommend when you're taking climate change into account for future modeling? Yes. So there are several uh, different infrastructure changes that, that, that can be done and that are already done by other sources. Uh, beyond tree trimming, uh, we have also uh, some changes in the type of wires, uh, some power replacement programs, and other programs for for strengthening the, the infrastructure of Eversource. So there are many programs that are uh, undertaken by Eversource in this sense. Mm. You've been hearing Diego Tarai again here on Where We Live, Assistant Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at UConn, Manager of the Eversource Energy Center at UConn. The center has about $20 million in funding to develop new technologies and for power distribution to manage risks associated with extreme weather. Diego, thank you for your time today. It was really interesting to hear from you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, or Algan, breathing a sigh of relief after this tropical storm. Now a depression. Henri is moving out of our region. Today's show produced by Kay Tolarski and Sujata Srinivasan. Gina Matruda was our technical producer today. Special thanks to Robin Doyne Aiken on the phones and Frankie Graziano. We'll be back tomorrow.